we had one process where we looked at how long does it take from the time a sales guy turns in an order until the time that it's on the board, ready to go, the equipment's there, the, the customer's been notified, the permit has been pulled, the, you know, in our case, the crane has been ordered to put the unit on the roof, that kind of thing. It was taking us 54 minutes. They analyzed the process, figured out some new ways of doing things. And this is, by the way, my team, not me. I didn't have to go there and write this for them. We had some you know, air conditioning guys and some CSRs together working on it. They got it down to nine minutes. Today's guest on the Contractor Momentum Podcast is Tom Howard of Lee's Air Conditioning and a few other businesses which he tells us about while he's introducing himself. He shares some killer insight into his budgeting strategies for his $15 million a year operation, how he breaks it down, how he looks at the numbers, how he uses it to staff accordingly, all that good stuff, along with his use of lean management principles in specific examples from within his own businesses. Lots of good stuff here. Before we jump into it, if you're not already a member, look for the link to the Home Pro Marketing and Sales Lounge. That's our Facebook group, at least what it's named today. I'm considering changing it to the Contractor Momentum Community or possibly the Contractor Momentum Lounge. As you know, our podcast and my information is on many topics related to contracting business growth, not just marketing and sales. And I recently explained in another podcast episode, I recently explained the name change to the Contractor Momentum Podcast. So I think it may be time to rename the Facebook group to reflect that. Anyhow, regardless of the name, head on over to the group and you can connect with myself and today's guest, Tom, and tap into the insight and experience of all of our 1,500 plus members and growing. On that note, let's jump into it. Tom, welcome to the Contractor Momentum Podcast. Thanks, glad to be here. Man, I know you're a busy guy, why don't you let the audience in, let our listeners in on what exactly you got going on, all these businesses that you run and what you are up to? You know, the funny thing is I was told by a guy that one time if I just focused all my efforts on one company instead of multiple companies, that I'd actually probably make more money. And the reality <laughs> is if that's true. I just wouldn't have nearly as much fun. So right now, I've really only got a couple companies that I'm, I own now. I've, I've sold a couple in the past two years. So right now I've got a air conditioning and plumbing company. That's my main business and has about 65 employees. It does about, about 15.3 million in annual sales. Well, I'm going to cut you off right there. Just, just doing the math on that 65 employees to 15.3 million in annual revenue. That's a really good number in terms of, well, labor efficiency rate or actual revenue per service technician. That's very healthy. We really watch that pretty closely. And that's probably something we'll talk about later is about how we do that and what we do to try to get that efficiency up besides just more sales training. And then the second thing that I have is a pest control company called Dustin Pest Control. Now I I'm own, well, I own half of Lee's Air and now I'm purchasing the rest of it. We should be closing that deal in the next, either today or tomorrow. Congrats. Thanks a lot. With the pest control company, I own about 40%. I'm the largest shareholder, but there's four of us that own that together. And I was the operating partner for many years on that. And yeah, so, and then the third thing was, is that we did a, the general manager of Lee's Air and I broke off and started our own consulting company called Blue Collar Profits. We helped people with business optimization, things like that. And a lot of the business optimizations we did was through a software called Service Titan. I'm no longer doing that consulting because recently I was called by Service Titan and asked to be the VP of customer experience here. And what they wanted to do is have take the ideas and understandings we had from the consulting 
and bring them to ServiceNow and try to give it to the customers directly. Blue Collar Profits still exists with the other employees that were there, but I'm, I'm no longer doing the consulting anymore. Right on, man. So you are definitely a busy guy. How long ago did you get into Lee's? How long ago did you actually get into the HVAC business? And what was the catalyst behind that? Or was there even more trades businesses before Lee's? Yeah, I Lee's was the first trades business that I owned. I mean, before that, I'd always tried different things like, you know, mobile truck washing and weird stuff that I was I was just trying out, trying to make something happen. But I was I was in high school and then college doing everything I could. I really got in the trades because a guy came to my house when I was 15 years old to hook up a water line to my fridge and I needed a job and to make money. So I asked him for a job. It was actually my mother saying that I had to get a job when I turned 15. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of convenient. And I started out sweeping floors and cleaning tools and things like that. And I've worked for several companies, including a couple in college. And one, that one that I did when I was 15, I'd, I'd go there after school and high school and and clean the shop and clean floors. And then we go out on as a helper on service calls on the weekends, typically, or during the summer. So worked for a lot of places. Didn't, didn't get to Lee's until after college. I was about 27. I'd worked for Lee's during college and they were, at least by that point, I wasn't cleaning floors and stuff. I was, they hired me as a sales guy. I was pretty much the worst sales guy they ever had. <laughs> Well, from worst sales guys they ever had to company owner, keep going with this story. Yeah. So I, I helped the owner with different computer things and stuff like that. And I basically became his assistant for a while. I got to know him really well. And then I, I actually told him I was going to business school. So I never had to do air conditioning ever again. And he kind of laughed and I went to business school. Well, at least for undergrad and I got into finance and realized that finance wasn't my thing. And I ended up coming back to work at Lee's and the owner had some personal issues in his life. And he said, you know what? I'd I'd like to sell it. And he wanted more money than I wanted to pay, but he was willing to carry the note. So basically all I had to do was make payments to him. So at that point I was 27 or 28, I can't remember. And I owned my own little HVAC company. It was about 1.6 million in annual sales the year before I got there. And that year we did 1.8. So it wasn't much of a change, but we were, you know, paying off the owner and doing things we had to do back then. And it was, we're coming out of the recession. So it was a lot of you guys remember it. That was 2011 when I got there and things were starting to turn and things were starting to get better. So it was 2011 that you actually bought the company out? 2011, I came back to the business. Okay. And then 2012, I was when we, when I bought the company out. 2013, the owner came back, the former owner and said, Hey, I'd like to buy back in. I thought this was brilliant. I was going to sell them half the company for a good amount of money. I went home to my wife and told her, Hey, I got great news. She said, what? And I said, well, I sold my company for half of it, basically for what I paid for the whole thing, because the, the company's basically double the revenue now. And I was so excited. And she looked at me and she just had this angry look on her face. And she said, all right, first of all, you didn't sell your company. You sold our company and you didn't talk to me about it. And then you can imagine the things that happened from there. I can see that going downhill very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. And and in the end, she was right. What happened was the company grew after that. I I did sell half back to the original owner and he became more of a silent partner. He teaches, he, he was a technical guy. So he really knew the trades really well. And I didn't. I mean, when I got into Lee's, I really still didn't know how to fix an air conditioner or install one. I knew how to install a little bit, but 
installing is not nearly as tough as actually fixing them. So in the end, I, I liked having him as a resource there, but he, he had a job teaching at the local community college, a full-time job. And so I was running Lee's and we went from basically at that time when he got back in, it was about 3 million in sales. And now it's 15.3 is what we closed last year at. And yeah, now I, I have to write a decent check to him and, and, and move on. Yeah, you're ready to shift gears and move on. So that, that's some impressive and quick growth, man. I mean, we're talking, you know, 1.6 in 2012 to 15.3 in 2019. That was fast. It was 1.6 in, in 2010. 2010. 2011. Yeah, 1.85 in 2012. That's not, that's not a material difference, man. <laughs> Take all that credit. That's all your credit. Thanks, man. Yeah, so what was, I mean, what would you say was the big catalyst behind that growth? I mean, what, what was driving the sales? I, I know that you've got some insight into actual management, but what was pulling the actual top of the line revenue up with it? So a couple of things. I, I tell people this, a lot of people want the silver bullet. Like, what's the one thing I have to do to make a ton of money? And everyone asks that because just in case there is something out there, we all want to know what it is, right? But what I tell people is, is that growing a business, you kind of have to see it as um, growing multiple things at once and, and they have to all simultaneously increase. So let me explain that. Let's say you have a ton of leads coming in. So the phone's ringing off the hook, but you don't have, and you have enough people to run the calls, but you don't have enough trucks to get them to the house. Well then whatever your weakest link is, is how much revenue you're going to make. So if you can only do $300,000 of revenue per truck or whatever your number is, or $400,000 of revenue per truck, then as many trucks as you have, that's what you can do. But if you have all the trucks and you have all the people, but you don't have the leads coming in, then you also can only do as much revenue as your leads can produce. Or, or if you don't have the technicians, but you have the trucks and you have the, the leads, then you're still limited. So what I'd say is, is we recognize that. And I'd say the number one thing that we did was we spent a lot of time budgeting and figuring out exactly what it was going to take. So we knew ahead of time what those numbers were going to look like. And on our budget, we basically have gone just about every year we haven't missed budget. And the reason is because we, we budget a little bit conservatively. We figure out what we know we're capable of doing. We figure out how much revenue it's going to take or how much, how much marketing dollars it's going to take to get the leads we need. Then we figure out how many technicians we're going to need. Then we figure out how many trucks we're going to need. Then we even build a organizational structure in our office around how much we can handle and then we figure out how much we're gonna have to hire so we don't wait until in the air conditioning business waiting until june to figure out you know how many people you need to hire because you go oh my gosh we have a ton of calls coming in yeah well, i got news for you it's summer <laughs> you're yep. an air conditioning company you needed to know how many calls you were going to get and you need to plan for it so exactly that's the number one thing and then we you know tracked our processes like crazy and made sure that we had infrastructure heavy enough to, to support it. And as you'll hear, I mean, obviously I work at Service Titan. One of the things we did launch when we were at about between three and 5 million in sales, we did launch Service Titan. And that honestly, and this isn't just a plug. I mean, it's, it really did change the way we, we conducted business and allowed us to automate a lot of things so we could grow without having to add a ton of office staff. I've heard Service Titan is a great, great software program. It's one of the ones that I look towards, but we don't use it in my own company. In my company, we use 
one of the one what is it called it's called kickserve i should know that off the top of my head and well we use that because we started with that that was just the first one we found back in 2012 and well we started with that and it's it's worked it's it's worked quite well but service titan i will say from what i've seen is a really awesome piece of software out there we'll come back to that in a second let's talk about your actual budgeting when you were when you're making these budgets i'm guessing you're doing this on an annual basis are you looking at the top line and saying how much revenue do we want to hit? All right, so we want to hit $20 million a year in revenue. Here's what we got to spend on ads and here's how many people we need. Or do you look at it from the bottom up and say, here is the resources that we have. What is the maximum amount of revenue we can achieve with these resources? And then how will we get it? Yeah, the interesting thing is what, what we actually do is, is see. We look at how much profit we want to make for the year. And then we twist every dial we can to figure out what we're gonna have to do to hit that. Because here's why. One is that revenue, I don't, I don't care about that much because you know I don't pay my bills with revenue. I pay my bills with profit. And secondly, the resources we have just about, I mean, almost every company has just about unlimited resources. I know people don't believe that, but the reality is, is if you could go into a bank and say, look, this is the performance we've had, and this is what we know we can do if we just put money into it and you can prove that banks will give you whatever amount of money you want. As far as technician hiring goes, if you have a good hiring, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. You can bring in the technicians, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later on, on the technician training stuff that we've done. So the resources for us haven't been the limiting factor. So profitability really is what we look at. And then there's a lot of dials. So let's say we set, Hey, we want to do, let's just pick a number of million dollars of profit this year. If, if I want to do a million dollars of profit and I look, look up and I see, okay, I've got my budget built. I've got what I think I'm going to spend in overhead and every single, every single basically line item off our PL. And by the way, our, our, our budget looks just like our PL. We try to take all the, the subcategories on the left-hand side of the PL and then put them onto a spreadsheet and budget every single dollar. And then we put it for every month. This is done in Excel. And then we go up and, and we figure out, we, we do a lot of season, well, it gets a little complicated. We do some, basically some calculations to figure out, to build in seasonality into our numbers. So I say, well, with this overhead, when I'm, when I'm first starting, I say, well, this is the, this overhead, I do think this is the revenue we'll make. I'll punch in those revenue numbers and I will go and figure out, okay, if I'm going to hit, let's say $10 million in revenue just to make it round, typically what percentage of my revenue given historical records how what percentage of that happens in january what percentage of that happens in february what percentage of that would happen in march and then i build in okay then that means every single month this is how much i'm going to do then i plug in my gross margin numbers per department and it tells me how much profit i'm going to do and then i subtract all my costs and i look down you know my my expenses and then i look down it shows me my net profit and then i start toying with that net profit i say okay well i want to do a million and this says that if i do the revenue i think i'm going to do with the gross margin i think i'm going to hit based on historical numbers and my monthly fixed expenses are this then let's say my profit is only seven hundred thousand. and then i go oh, shoot what am i going to do so i start looking at it and we start toying with it okay well let's there's a few ways to do this one we can increase our gross margin two we can leave the gross margin percentage the same and increase revenue. How do we do that? Well, I'd have to pay more in advertising. So let's increase my advertising budget. And then let's look at what that will do to revenue. And let's look and make sure we can sustain it. 
we basically spend several days tweaking and toying with it to try to figure out where we're going to be on profitability and dialing it in. We try not to get too greedy and get, get too high on it, but yeah, we pretty much on the revenue side, we've, because it's basically for us, it's a, it's based on how much marketing we do. We've pretty much hit the revenue numbers every year. Profitability has gone up and down based on the size of the company that we are. And we've, we've learned some lessons over the years, but we've got it pretty dialed in down to just about every month. Yeah. You said a lot there. One of the things that stood out to me here is that you're breaking it down on a monthly basis. Can you give me any further details on why you're looking at it on a monthly basis and what kind of takeaway you get? Because what I'm hearing in my head is, you know, when you when you make a projection for on an annual basis, you're only making one. Now you're doing this on a monthly basis. You're literally taking the work times 12. So why are you looking at it on a monthly basis and what information is that giving you? And subsequently, what changes are you making on a monthly basis? Yeah. So I would say that this is probably one of the most critical things you can do when you're in a seasonal business. So, and, and plumbing actually does have some seasonality. June tends to be a little lower in plumbing. The fall seems to be a little higher. I think it's because water heaters work more. The holidays are there. It's not nearly as seasonal as air conditioning. Anyway, when you're in air conditioning business or any seasonal business, you're going typically, if you're growing up to max capacity, you're going to have some months. We're going to take losses. Now, by the way, you can do this. In Excel, if you're pretty good with Excel or have someone's pretty good at Excel, dragging it out to the monthly basis, I can build a budget in about an hour, at least a basic budget before I have to start getting into it. And I could go through my budget with you, but bottom line is I've got at least 70 or 80 sub accounts that I have to go through and, and, make sure they're there. Well, probably, probably 50, but I can just drag that and, and forecast it out. Anyway, we do it on the monthly basis because let's just say, you know, in, in March in Fresno, California, it's going to be an average of 73 degrees. The weather's perfect. You know, someone's air conditioner could literally blow up on the roof and nobody cares. They'll call you in May. <laughs> and, and, and December isn't that cold. So we don't get that much business in December. So let's just say March though. March, typically we lose money. And if we budget it out and figure out that, wow, we're going we're gonna to lose $120,000 in the month of March. Okay, that's the budget. But when we add those up for the year, because in the summer we're going to make $500,000 in the month of June, and then it all comes out and it tells me what my number is going to be at the end of the year. Well, then let's say March hits and we get to March and we lose 50 grand. As a business owner, you look at your PL and you freak out and you go, if you don't have a budget, you freak out and you go, man, I lost $50,000. I'm so frustrated. You go around, you start, you know, getting frustrated with your employees. You start blaming people. Fingers start getting Laying staff off. Yeah. Staff are really ticked at that point. It's not good. But if you had a budget and you knew that you were supposed to lose 120 and you only lost 50, your staff did something right. And you should be congratulating them. You don't want to be stopping them from doing the things that they should be doing. And so clearly they, they made something happen. You know, the other side of that is, is that let's say June happens and June, you're supposed to make 400 grand, but you only made 300. Typically business owners get excited, man, I made $300,000 in the month of June. There's actually a problem and you don't know it. And you're not going to realize that problem until September, October hits when the weather cools off and you're not making the profits you need to make. And you go, Oh my gosh. And you just went the whole summer without fixing the problem. Either it was a gross margin percentage problem or it was an overhead problem that got too high. Something was wrong and you should have known in June. 
because you should have been able to look at your budget and say, hey, wait a second, I only made 300,000. I was supposed to make four. What happened? Let me figure that out. So any seasonal business, I definitely would push it. If your business is pretty continuous month to month, which not a lot of businesses are, even retail, restaurants, they have good months, they have bad months. You need to know, hey, what am I supposed to do in a given month? And if I don't hit it that month, whether or not you made money is irrelevant. It's how much money you made or how much money you lost versus what you should have been able to What do. you should have or could have. Yeah, the opportunity cost. And that's an interesting perspective when you look at it in the sense of, well, we were supposed to be negative 120 grand, but we only lost 50 or we're supposed to or could have hit 400 grand in revenue, but we still made only 300. That you know, even though you know the sun is shining on it and the profit is good, that's really not what you should have been aiming for or what you should have done. How do you how do you establish the seasonality? I mean, where do you get the actual trend from? What are you using as a gauge? So typically right now it depends on the department, but, and if the company's growing, but typically I'll use about the past three years. And what I do is I stack up the three years on top of each other in Excel. So all the Januaries are in a column, all the Februarys are in a column, all the Marches are in a column, all three of them. Then I add all three of those together. And then I add the totals together as well. And then I'll take the total of all the Januaries divided by the total of all the years combined. And that'll tell me, let's say 6%. That way I know that typically in January, on average over the past three years, 6% of my revenue for the year happens in the month of January. Okay, that works, that works. One thing that I look at, and this is pretty interesting, is Google Trends. I don't know if you ever heard of it. You ever pulled that up and popped your business into it? It'll It'll show you the actual search volume. And if you're... Well, it generally applies whether you're doing everything online or offline, but my actual seasonality pattern follows that very closely. And one of the things we do is, well, we time our advertising budget accordingly. So, you know, when it's at the beginning of the year, January, it's going to start going up in my business. We kind of follow an upward trend through June. At that point, we are maxing out our advertising budget. And then as things are coming down from June on into November, December, the slowest times of the year, we scale our advertising budget back. And subsequently, if we want to start a new advertising campaign, particularly on a new medium or with new advertising content, we'll generally launch that in January just because it's easier for it to get momentum and you'll actually see the results. Whereas if you launch it in, say, August, you're fighting the tide. You're kind of going out. You're really not going to get much, get much with it. So that's something that if you're out there listening, pull it up, type in Google trends. I talk about it in the Facebook group, type in your business. You can literally narrow it right down to your city or metro area. And if that's a small, if you're in a small market, you know, you might have to go to state or something, but it shows you a real cool pattern, which is really awesome to look at. And I think can be used as a planning tool. At least I use it as a planning tool. If you don't want to get into the data, as Tom is suggesting with the actual Google Excel and your P&L and all that. And keep in mind with what I'm doing, it doesn't, you've got to do other things to plan your marketing. I think that's what you're pointing out is, is your marketing plan because Absolutely. we use it in conjunction with what we're doing. So typically if you're looking at your past few years, if you have a past few years to look at, it's not going to tell you what you had to do in that given month in order marketing wise to hit that number. It's just going to show you what you're capable of doing in, in years past. With Google Trends, you definitely need to look at it to make sure that you say, okay, I'm going to typically in the past, I've been able to hit this number in March. And with my new goal, I'm going to hit X number in March, whatever it is. What am I going to have to do marketing wise to make that happen? And if you look on Google Trends, you can see 
search volume sky high in the month of June, then you're probably not going to have to market that much to hit those numbers. And you can put that into your budget. Whereas you can tell in March in Fresno, California, beautiful weather, no one cares about fixing the air conditioner. I'm going to, and the search volume is, Google Trends is going to show you the search volume is tanked. Then yeah, you're going to have to, maybe you need to go into your budget and increase your marketing volume in that given month to make sure that you hit the number you need to hit on your, on your monthly. So the, the revenue I just, I hit on basically historicals, but when I'm looking at like marketing budget, we'd look at Google Trends and other things. Right on. Absolutely. Let me ask this. This is, it sounds like you might have a different approach than I do. You know, do you try to market harder in the slow months and then cut it back in the busy months or crank it up in the busy months? Cause there's more opportunity. I'll tell you, you know, as I implied with mine, we crank up our marketing budget in the busy months. Cause that's when people have a lot of intent they're buying. And at the same time, our competitors are getting flustered. I mean, they're getting overwhelmed with all the inbound calls they're not answering their phones. They're, you know, they're kind of, how should I say this? They're loathing in all of the money that they're pulling in. And they're like, well, you know, I don't need to run estimate appointments at this point. Tell them we'll talk, tell them we'll call them back in a month to schedule an estimate appointment, you know? So they're, the customers are getting flustered because they can't get anyone else on the phone. And our competitors are kind of kicking back, rolling to the bank. We are still selling at that point. And we're still going to keep all of the actual revenue pulling in? Are you, are you taking the same approach or are you doing it differently? Are you saving money on marketing there? And there's no right or wrong way to do it for those of you guys out there listening. I'm not trying to imply that. If you can run the marketing in the summer and if you can take the calls at the capacity, you're in, in air conditioning when the volume's really there, it just happens to be summer for air conditioning. Marketing is at the cheapest it can possibly be. So I really hate pulling back on marketing in the summer because you do get that. And it's, it's at the cheapest because everybody else is cutting it. Essentially, yeah. we, we see that in Google ads, really. Yeah, exactly. So your cost of customer acquisition tanks during that busy season, which is awesome. So I hate cutting it in the on season. But the one issue we have is if we do run out of capacity, which is tough, when, when you have a season that's basically four months long in California and the other eight months, you got nothing going on and you're trying to maintain employees to maintain your, your culture and keep them working, capacity is the name of the game. So for us, if, if we, if we have the capacity, we just keep the marketing going, just keep it pushed, keep pedal the metal. If the capacity dries up, the problem is even if my cost of customer acquisition there is, or, or my, let's say, you know, cost per lead is like a dollar. If I can't take the lead, it's a dollar that I lost because they're going to call and I still got to pay for that call and there's nothing I can do about it. So we take as much as we can. We do everything we can to try to move things around. We bring in portable air conditioning units so that we can, a customer that does call in, let's say they got to wait two weeks for an air conditioning install, which for us would be terrible. We'll take them out of portable AC to try to keep their house cool. We'll do anything we can to try to keep that customer there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's all. Uh, bringing out portable AC units is a significant investment there in keeping the customer. Yeah. Really it's about $500 a portable AC unit. We have about 20 or 25 of them right now. We do everything we can to just, you know, but really it's 500 bucks once for that AC unit. And then hopefully you're tracking it well and getting them back so you can use them for the next next customer. That is true. Let's shift gears a little bit, Tom. You know, I mentioned right off of the get-go that the amount of revenue you're bringing in per employee is impressive. Let's talk about that. What are you doing to keep things running efficiently and keep that revenue per employee up? Because most companies, and you probably know this, most companies are not anywhere near that number. 
Yeah. So what we do there is we do a system called lean management. And if you don't know much about it, you can look it up online. There's a lot of free resources out there. There's a book called the Toyota way. It was pioneered by the Japanese and uh, Toyota really kind of brought it to the forefront of people's minds. American companies like General Electric and others went out and basically have implemented it since. Most manufacturing companies do it on a regular basis. It's one small part of what's called Six Sigma and that some of you may have heard of about which basically Six Sigma tries to ensure quality and speed and, and lean management really is the speed of it. What we do is we... Well, the way we got started is we brought a consultant in to do it. We, we train it in-house now. We basically have a training that teaches people how to, the process for designing a process. And that's what the, the, the problem I think people have is, is they get really excited about processes and procedures and they write a thousand procedures and they put them in some notebook somewhere if they write procedures at all. And then they put them into that notebook and then they put it on a shelf and then they collect dust. At I'm that guilty point, of that. Yeah. The process, I mean, we all are at some point, yeah. you know, yeah. and the process is completely useless. Like if no one looks at it and no one cares about it, then, then you spend a ton of money on something that's completely useless. So what lean management does though, is it, it basically teaches you a way to try to force the process and build what they would call pokey oaks or Kanbans, things that like force idiot proofing it, basically make it easier to do it the right way than it is to do it the wrong way. And then they have sustainability, which basically means that, hey, we're going to make sure this, this process continues to go. What we do is, is we, have, we do the trainings. When we do the training, it, you break up into groups of like five people. It'll typically be like a warehouse guy, a, a dispatcher, or a CSR, a manager, a, a technician, or a HVAC technician, or a plumber, all on one team. And there is no management, so there's no authority. Once you're on that team, everybody has equal authority, whether you're the warehouse guy or the CEO. Everyone on the team is equal. And then they analyze the process. And during the training, they're given tools on how to analyze the process. After that, after that training, they go and they get a couple of days to analyze an, an existing process within the company. And they have to actually implement change. And we had one process where we looked at how long does it take from the time a sales guy turns in an order until the time that it's on the board, ready to go, the equipment's there, the, the customer's been notified, the permit has been pulled, the, you know, in our case, the crane has been ordered to put the unit on the roof, that kind of thing. It was taking us 54 minutes. They analyzed the process, figured out some new ways of doing things. And this is, by the way, my team, not me. I didn't have to go there and write this for them. We had some you know, air conditioning guys and some CSRs together working on it. They got it down to nine minutes, 54 minutes down to nine. And then a couple of years after that, which is about a year ago, I went back and I said, I'm just gonna check to see how long this takes now and see if they stop doing it the right way. They're at nine and a half minutes. So, I mean, they added 30 seconds to the process, which I'm okay with. So bottom line is if you can do that and get that down, then you can really speed things up. So you said a lot there. Let me try and dissect this. First of all, you know, who, who was in, in charge of this process? I mean, who's actually doing it from the time this, or who's handling it from the time the salesperson turns it over until operations goes out there? That's, I'm guessing, what we're talking about here. Is that, do you call them, do you call them like the install coordinator, operations manager, someone of that nature? In this particular process, it's an install coordinator. When you're looking at a process, you've got several people in the process. And what lean management would tell you is, is that you need to analyze whether or not you need to have multiple people in the process. And if you do, how is the communication clearly communicated all the way through? So you don't have anyone 
duplicating something. Okay, so we we got the install coordinator. Was there any particular reason why you picked this process to work on it, or was this? I'm, I'm guessing this is one of many that you looked at. This is one of many. One guy figured out. One one technician actually said, "Hey, I'm going to analyze the process of cleaning out our trucks in the morning." Hold on, stop right, stop right there. Well, how did that one technician pick this out? How did you get that one technician to pick that out? Because a lot of people are going to say, and I'll say this too. I just need my technician to get the right materials onto the truck in the morning. And if they can do that, that's great. I can't even get them to think about that. How do I get them to pick out a process from my business? So yeah, how did you do that? Because my next question was going to be, how did you actually pick the team? You, You mentioned a team. So I'm like, all right, well, how did you get this team? And how did they end up on this process? So that's what I'm trying to figure out here. We do it. I should probably explain something more. We take the entire company every single year. We typically do them in February, which now that I'm working at service time, I've got to figure this out, how I'm going to do it. We put the whole company through it and we break when they start. And what happens is they go through and they're new to the company. They go through the lean management training and then we break them into teams and everyone has to do it. So everyone in the company at some point has been through the training and needs to do this process. Additionally, we give them financial training. So everyone in the entire company has to know revenue, cost of sale, gross margin, overhead, and net profit. So when they're analyzing something and trying to figure something out, they know they can conceptualize like how this is going to save us money. And by the way, we publish our our revenues and everything to the entire company so people can see what's going on. So in this case, a technician was sitting in the training and we broke up into groups of five. And in this case, probably had 15 people going through it, let's say. By the way, every year after that, there's a refresher course so that everyone through the company can go through it again. Just it's more condensed and they work on a process again. Everyone has to pick a process. In his case, his team decided, let's look at what it takes to clean out our trucks in the morning, how much time it takes. When he was analyzing that, he found out that they spent a ton of time walking across the parking lot to dump their trash out and then walking back to where the trucks are parked. He figured out that it was going to save us $20,000 a year and he had real math behind it. $20,000 a year if we just move the dumpster from one side of the parking lot to the other. Absolutely game-changing. Wow, okay. So you're, you're, I mean, you're starting this right when they get hired as part of the onboarding, the lean management training? No, because throughout the year, we, we're hiring people. And so, and you really need to do a bunch of them all at once. So we do the training once a year. And so if you got hired in August and the next training is until February, you're going to basically be hired. You're going to go through your general onboarding, but... You're going to go through the lean management training that following February. That following February. And they get assigned to a team and they have to identify a process and improve it. And for this example, this team was assigned at what is essentially the, I don't know exactly what you, what do you call the process, but the handover there from sales to, well, in between sales to completion. Yeah, we call it sales processing. Just sales processing. Yep. So they looked at that and they're like, hey, this is 54 minutes and they could get that down, how were they able to do that? So some simple things, they look at what we call non-value added time. So any time that is spent on something that doesn't provide value to the customer, we clock that. And in this case, processing an install, filling out paperwork, non-value added to a customer. Customer doesn't care if you spend 54 minutes or one minute on doing this, they just want the system installed on their building. So when they're looking at that, they said, okay, how much time did I, what am I doing? Okay, I'm in this case, California has a HERS rating system where we have to have all of our, you know, systems rated by a third party to verify that airflow is correct. Well, we have to call them, we have to schedule with them, we have to give them the address. 
they might not pick up the phone when we first call, they gotta call us back, it just takes time. He said, hey, what if we just gave visibility, in this case, we have Service Titan, so they gave them a login and password to our Service Titan account, and said, hey, let's just give them visibility into that so they can see what the address is themselves, they can see what time we're supposed to be there, and they can figure out when, when they're supposed to be on site. That just basically eliminated the whole phone call back and forth process. The next thing is we had a, the city of Fresno required faxes. Well, they're, they're literally standing with a stopwatch and they told the install manager, hey, go, or the install coordinator, go through the normal process. Well, he's trying to fax the city of Fresno. The city of Fresno doesn't get approved. So then the fax has to go through again. I can't believe that they still want faxes. Anyway, we realized, <laughs> what if we just use e-fax and never have to do that anymore? It costs us like $50 a year. And you, it basically, it looks like an email, but it goes out and fax. Okay, that... That yep. saves a bunch of time. The crane company, we gave them visibility into our stuff. So one thing after another, we made it simpler, simpler, simpler until it was super easy to do. And we give them tools. We have things called spaghetti diagrams and flow charts that they learn how to use to kind of make it easier for them to look at the process and analyze it. So a lot of this was done by just getting third parties to follow your own process, essentially. I mean, logging into Service Titan. Yeah, in that case, it was Service Titan. We also, I mean, I'm really not just trying to plug Service Titan here, but they do have automated things. So I can create an automatic alert in Service Titan when a job is sold and automatically alert certain people, including my vendor or whatever I want to do to make them see it. And that makes things a little bit easier. That's pretty cool, but yeah. Outside of that, I mean, I could give you, getting vendors to work for you is definitely a huge piece of it. We have an install process where a lot of people for inventory, want to use bins where they fill them up with all the things you would need on an install and then send the bin as a whole out to a job. This is better than having to inventory your truck every night or refill trucks and things like that. Well, we thought the bins were awesome too, but our vendor was willing when we asked them to, to fill the bins for us and manage them for us. So instead of me having to pay a warehouse guy to fill up bins and track what we use and what we did not use on an install, they fill a bin with everything we need. They deliver it to us. We use what we need. We put a piece of tape on the top in the end with the job number, we tape the bin shut. It gets sent back to the supplier. The supplier opens it up, looks at everything we used, refills it, and sends us a bill. And they, they put it on the job number, a bill with a job number on it that was on that piece of tape. And we get billed within 48 hours, and we know what our job costs were. Holy moose, that's an awesome one, because we, we do bins as well in our case. And I mean, it sounded like you were just, you know, reading straight out of my warehouse. Bins, we got a piece of tape with the job number on it. And now these get loaded onto the trucks and we do have a warehouse manager and a shop assistant, you know, doing all that. You've got vendors that are filling these bins. And is the bin the same for every scope or do you guys have a few different scopes where you alter what's in the bin and the vendor still has to send it out? It's funny you should ask that. We actually had multiple bins for multiple scopes. And we were actually doing a lean management training and, and an installer was there and he said, hey, I want my project to be to analyze these bins. I said, okay. He was actually able to get the vendor to pull all the data from all the bins we had done and they realized what we need and what we don't need on the jobs. And we were able to figure out that we could actually get everything for every scope into one bin because we had a lot of excess stuff in there that we really didn't need and we could prove it based on what was used. And in lean management, they call that Kaizen or continuous improvement. So the the... The process improved. Additionally, the supply house didn't like the fact that it took them so long to fill the bin, so they were a little bit hesitant on it. So we did a lean management training with them at their location, which most of these 
you know, we can do in any size classroom. And we helped them analyze what it took to fill a bin. They went from 33 minutes to fill a bin down to about seven, seven and a half. And we were able to standardize it so that anyone in their shop could do it. So we actually worked with the supply house in that case to help make it easier for them. And so now they're more than happy to fill bins and deliver them to our shop and take care of all that stuff and not have our warehouse person handling it. That's impressive. Do they invoice you for the entire content of the bin or do they charge you for the entire content of the bin and then refund you? Or are they just going to count and inventory what you took out of it? No. So that's the beauty of it. When they deliver a new bin to our shop, let's say we have more installers come on. So we, we call them and say, hey, we're going to need more bins. And they can also have access to service time, by the way, to see how much how many crews we're running. They don't charge us. It's all on consignment for what's in the bin. So they deliver the bin. We don't get charged. We don't get charged until we send the bin back and they scan all the things. that they, When they fill the bin, they scan the parts that they're putting into the bin. And that's what we get charged for. So we only get charged for what we use and we only get charged after we use it. Nice. That is awesome stuff. What are some of the other processes you guys have worked on? I mean, we got the sales processing, you got the bins. What are some other things that the teams have came up with? This is, this is incredibly cool. Well, one of the things we did is we realized that people could steal things out of the bin. Guys, maybe Fair enough. Steal, they just thought, oh, this would be convenient. We have sub bins inside the bin. So in the main bin, we have bins for like copper fittings and PVC fittings and that kind of stuff. We'd have a guy like take a whole thing of PVC fittings or copper fittings out because he feels like he just wants to have it on his truck. Well, that would cost us a ton of money because we're going to yeah. charge for every single piece of that. By the way, they're going to charge us for that plastic sub bin they took out of it too. So what they realized was, how do we fix that? Well, they found that, why don't we just pay our people a bonus based on profitability of the job? And so now we have a process after job costing that the installers get $100 each for the job if they hit a certain profitability percentage that's preset at the beginning of the year on every single job. So once they get, basically no one has an incentive now to take anything out of that bin that they shouldn't be taking out. And it really helped things move along. That was one of the ideas they had. Yeah, there's, we've analyzed and analyzed and analyzed processes, but really what happened was with what we were able to do, we were able to cut down. So it was, we were about three to 5 million in sales when we, we started doing this. This is simultaneously with Service Titan because we had to, we had to have a tool that was capable of tracking these things for us. We had to have a tool that made those alerts possible. So at 5 million in sales, we had about 18 office staff. And at 9.4 million in sales, we had 19 office staff. So we basically almost doubled our size and added one office person to do it. And it was in conjunction with this lean management training and service Titan that allows us to do it. Awesome. So where would you go or what would be the first thing you would do you know, if you wanted to kind of get started in lean management, going back from the beginning, like let's say, hey, I am that $5 million a year company or smaller, where do I start? So there's a lot of resources online. If you type in lean management or lean manufacturing is what it used to be called. It hasn't really been pushed in the service industry. So you kind of have to think outside the box when you're reading about this stuff on how to do it. You can hire a consultant like that or something like that, or you can, you can look up those resources online. There's also, like I said, a book called The Toyota Way. In my opinion, it's a little bit boring. It's like 400 pages long, but it's it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it about the process and how, how Toyota went through and figured out ways to constantly eliminate waste and then teach their employees how to eliminate waste for themselves. So looking up, looking up those books, the Toyota way, and just doing a simple Google search, 
What about actually motivating the employees, though, to come up with the processes? I mean, let, let's go through that because I think that's incredibly powerful because a lot of times your employees will see stuff that you don't. I mean, in a business of size, once you hit a few million dollars a year in revenue, you probably know this, but things become incredibly siloed and you as the owner or president often are, you know, I mean, you're, you're just so far out in left field. You've got your business here and you are kind of over there and you sometimes don't even realize what's actually happening in the business. So how do you get the employees to get on board with this? So it's funny you should ask that. And I think this is the key to what I'm doing right now, because keep in mind, I, when I decided to go to work for Service Titan, I hired a guy with no experience gave him three days of training and put him in charge of Lee's air. That was about- Hold month. on, hold on. So so no HVAC experience. You hire a guy with no HVAC experience and now he's in charge of a 65-man operation doing $15 million a year in revenue. Yes. And I've told people, hey, in this case, with service side and things, I can see things remotely. I can run my company remotely. But I literally borrowed millions of dollars. I bought my partner out and put the whole thing in charge I put the whole thing under somebody that has no experience in the industry and he's running it. And it looks like we're going to beat our numbers in January and profitability and in, and in revenue it's possible. But the key to that is, is that one, like I said, visibility with your, your software and how you're using it. But two is the incentives to the employees. So the, the employees have an incentive to do things for you while you're gone. So that takes a lot of setting up and, I mentioned the installers a little earlier where they get an incentive for getting the job profitable and that keeps them, you know, keeps their eye on it. By the way, like I said earlier, I, I have to give them training on financials because a lot of people give them maybe the incentive, but don't really explain to them how that incentive works or how to get to it. And that's just a waste of money at that point, because now they just get incentivized for stuff when they kind of accidentally do something right. So first of all, we, we give them the training, every person, including the warehouse person, a financial training. Then we do lean management training. So we give them the financial training so they understand what we're talking about. We give them lean management training to give them the tools they need to smooth things out. Then we make sure we give them incentives for proper performance. It's really hard to do for every employee. And some employees, it's like, well, someone's processing paperwork. We're trying to look at like, how do we do that? Do we incentivize them per job that they bill out? Or do we, we incentivize them amount of, you know, billings that go through? I don't know. But for field staff, it's pretty simple for Every single department manager, the, my plumbing manager, my install manager, the president, general manager, they get paid based on profitability of their departments. So you've got basically a lot of people that are running their own little company. And I, it drives me nuts when I hear business owners say, oh my gosh, my people don't think like me. Well, how are they going to think like you if you haven't trained them to think like you? If you haven't given them the knowledge that you have, they can't, they can't think like you. I found that most people, contrary to popular belief, want to do the right thing. Most employees want to do the right thing, but we make environments where it's impossible for the employees to perform because they, and then they start doing things that you think are crazy. Well, it's not that they're crazy. They just, they just don't know. Like they, they don't, you know, owners say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they do this. Don't, don't they realize how much that costs us? The answer is no, no. They, don't. no they don't realize <laughs> until you train yeah. them and teach them about it. And then, and then give them the financials afterwards and say, look, this is really what that, this is the effect of what happened. No, they're not going to realize what that does to the financials. So you put those three things into place and basically the lean, the, the financial training, the lean management training, the incentives in the right place and, and you get it going together. I would say that you should add reporting, automated reports and things like that that go out all the time really help because that way they can, they can see the visibility like right away. 
our people every morning right now get an automated report. In this case, it is again from ServiceSign that tells them how they did the day before versus everyone else in their department. That tightens that feedback loop on the whole thing and kind of puts the cherry on top. Gotcha. That's a, that's some powerful stuff right there. You know, training the employees, motivating them with the compensation and getting them to think like that. That rings a lot of bells in my head and shows me a lot of room and ways that we could improve that I'd never even thought of. So thank you for sharing that, Tom. Reports too. Man, we're going to have to schedule another podcast episode because we could go all down, you know, you know, a 20 mile wormhole of reports before we wind it down because we're getting a little bit tight on time here. Earlier on in the podcast, you mentioned that you could basically get as many as many resources as you need. That probably wasn't the exact words that you said. And, you know, I'm thinking, all right, well, yeah, you can get funding to buy physical assets and such. But then there's the technicians in all of us in every trade. We are all tight on technicians. We are all short and looking for them. Explain your thinking there, because I know you have certainly been in that boat and you've certainly found a way to get unlimited human resources. What do you got behind that statement? So I shouldn't say unlimited, but it is limited, but it hasn't been a mitigating factor for us. And there's a a few things for it. I was listening to Jerry Kelly. Well, I was listening to Steve Miles, who owns Jerry Kelly in Missouri. It's an air conditioning shop in St. Louis, Missouri. And he said, if you can't afford to pay your technicians and people top dollar in your area, it's not their fault. It's yours. And I remember hearing that and I was probably a $3 million company back then. And it really rung true to me. And really, I mean, things like, well, with all the lean management and everything else, the more we can cut those costs and things of, of wasteful stuff, the more we can afford to pay our people and the more afford, more I can afford to pay myself. So one is that building those efficiencies is critical to be able to pay them more. And people say, well, my, my employees aren't performing the way they are. You know, why would I pay them anymore? I said, pay them more. So then you get to choose if you want to keep them or not. So then if they're underperforming, you can always let them go. And there's going to be someone else waiting to get there because man, you're, you're paying great money. Second thing is, is building a culture that really keeps those employees around, including we have like a vending machine with, with free snacks in it. We have a pool table in our office. We basically incentivize them with everything we can to try to make sure they're happy when they're at work. Making it a comfortable work environment. Yeah. And obviously managing them properly is, is important too. I mean, you can have great things like that and then just be a jerk as a manager and that doesn't, people just leave. But then finally, we, we basically spend a lot of money and a lot of time on training. So not only do we give in-house trainings and things like that, but we pay for college tuition for anyone in the company that wants to work basically to get a better job within the company or basically do a better job on the current job they have within the company. So anything from technical training at the local community college to I've got guys getting bachelor's degrees and gals getting bachelor's degrees at the state college in our area. And Lee's pays for those things. Some of them do online education. We will pay for that too. In this case, we got somebody going to the University of Phoenix for a master's program. We're paying for that. Just pretty much whatever we can to make sure that, you know, they're getting the best education possible. And then honestly, the last thing is, is I did a whole podcast on this at Service Titan about attracting and retaining top talent. But I think the last part is that people miss is that if you have a lot of great stuff going on, it's just like having a great business or product that you want to tell your customers about. You got to tell them about it. So we basically made a culture video that we put online. We haven't made one in several years, so it's kind of old. It's like 
15, I think we made it. And we pushed it out on Facebook, talking about our culture and how things go. And we put some things in there that people found interesting. And then we spent 800 bucks boosting it on Facebook. And we got 62,000 or 63,000 views, 60,000 plus views in two weeks in our area. And we literally had a line out the door of people trying to get a job there. And that really, I mean, once we had that in place, and then going back to the budgets, we had the budgets in place. So we knew how many people were going to have to have in a given time period. We could start hiring in March for June or start hiring, put out the ads in February, get people hired on in March and get them trained up for June. So we had the resources we need when we hit. Like I said, it's you have to raise every single department at the same time to hit what you need. And having that budget kind of brings it all together. Absolutely. I agree with you there. And one of the things that really stuck out in my mind or what, what did stick out was A, you're paying, you know, top dollar, top market dollar and budgeting accordingly for that. B, you're investing in your staff, training and educating them. And then C, when it comes to actual, actually hiring them, you're hiring them before you need them, knowing that you're going to have to take a loss in some months, which you already explained how that works earlier on in the podcast. But the big thing that that opens up is that it opens opens you up to a talent pool at a time when the industry around you is slow. So when other people are getting laid off or as you know from working with tradesmen, if they're not busy all the time, they might you know, open up their internet browser and look for higher paying opportunities, but they're not doing that during the busy season because at that point they are just slammed with hours and making all kinds of money, collecting all the piece rate bonuses that many operations have and not thinking about looking for another job. And then things get slow, things start crossing their mind to look for another job and guess who's there to scoop them up. Exactly. And I think building that top mind awareness is good. And also when you're advertising it though, it might not be them that's actually looking because the people that you really want aren't really looking for jobs. They probably have a decent job. That's a very good point. Their spouse is at home and they're frustrated that their spouse isn't coming home on time and they're, they're tired and stressed out all the time. And that spouse is, it could be the husband or the wife is looking at Facebook and they see an ad pop up for your, you know, Oh, wow. Look at this great company that pays college tuition and that has great benefits and is, is family oriented. Maybe they're looking at it and they're screenshotting that or sharing it on Facebook and sending it to their spouse and saying, Hey, what, how come you're not looking at this one? You know, maybe it's the kids that are looking at it. We actually had someone that their kid found us on Facebook and, and sent it to their dad and was like, Hey, why don't you go apply at Lee's and Lee's air is the name of my company. And it's really interesting because at that point you're proactively going out there. If you're just going to put it on monster.com or LinkedIn or, you know, whatever recruiting software you have, you're only going to get people that are looking for jobs. And typically those people are either laid off or they just had it so bad with their employer that they're going to look for another job. But you might be able to get them a lot sooner than that. Right on. So yeah, basically, I mean, just open yourself up to a talent pool of people that are not looking for a job at that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's some, that's some killer stuff right there. That kind of winds it down, though, for this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. We're out of time. I know Tom and I could probably go on for hours. I still have many questions. So no doubt he will be back on the podcast at some point in the future. Tom, thank you for joining me on the Contractor Momentum Podcast today. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. That's a wrap on this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. If you'd like to connect with myself or today's guest and get further insight or have your specific questions answered, head on over to the Facebook group, look for the link somewhere around this podcast player. I'll see you in there.